Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the CX Guru. I'm your host, Eric McCroskey, and today I'm very excited to have with me Jason Cranford-Teague. Uh, who is a, an accomplished and one of the pioneers probably in the UX space. Uh, he's currently the user experience lead with Rivet Logic Corporation. Uh, he's published numerous books uh, across the years on, uh, on web development and, and UX, uh, but also more recently you've, you've published a book uh, called Yuri Was Very Brave, a, a children's book. Uh, so, uh, Jason, welcome to the show, and first maybe if you can Introduce a little bit about yourself and how you got into the UX space and, and uh, some of that, that background and interest that you had around UX and customer experience. Yeah, um, well, I've been, I've been doing this a long time. Um, I, you know, when I first started out, it was, it was the early 90s. And, uh, you know, back then I was using HyperCard to create, uh, if you remember HyperCard, it was a kind of a early uh, predecessor to uh, to the web, but it was all only on one computer, but you could hook up cards and make pages and link them together and add video and add images. And um, I really, I really enjoy doing that. Um, you know, at the time, uh, I'd just come through, I uh, got my, my BA and, you know, um, mm -hmm. really didn't know what I was going to do because the, what I wanted to do didn't really exist yet. Um, Right. And so I, I, um, I decided to go off and get my master's degree at uh, Rensselaer uh, Polytechnic. That's in mm -hmm. upstate New York. Uh, and I was lucky that um, while I was there, the guy who wrote the actual very first book on on the web, uh, the World Wide Web Unleashed, uh, was a PhD candidate there, and he was running a magazine called uh, CMC Magazine, Computer Mediated Communications Magazine, and it was actually the first online only magazine there were other magazines online at the time but they were all you know from the print world and uh sure. yeah so he was definitely an early pioneer on the web and he brought me on board to help uh, write and uh design now uh, back in 1994 design on the web was you know it makes what you can do in word uh sophisticated so, sure. you know, so um, and then over the, you know, when I when I graduated, um, I, I interned at IBM for a while um, and then I got hired on by a company that no longer exists, like most early Internet companies uh, to be their web designer. And uh, and that's <laughs> when I really first started thinking of myself as a as a web designer, really didn't have the term UX back then. I mean, it existed. Sure. But, um, no one was really thinking too much in terms of that. Um, in fact, uh, a couple of years later, I got a job at another defunct internet company. It's not me, it's the internet. 
um, uh, called IXL, which for a brief and shining moment was the uh, the uh, largest web you know web company in the world. They had offices all over the world and doing all sorts of stuff. And I, I went into a uh, interview for a position for this thing I'd never heard of before. Uh, called Information Architect. Uh, I looked at the job description. Okay. I was like, well, that's all the stuff I do. But I'd never heard of the term Information <laughs> Architect before. Uh, so that's when I first became an Information Architect. And I guess that's really what we think of, most people think of when they hear user experience now. It's the research. It's the uh, testing. Sure. It's the, um, the structural elements. Um, and then we use UI to define the user interface, which is the you know the actual interface that you end up using. For me, though, sure. I, I've always really thought of those as one and the same, and and that can be quite controversial. I've gotten into many debates with uh, <laughs> professionals over that topic, um, but I do think uh, you know I, I go back to the original uh, coining of the term uh, um, user experience. Um, um, by uh, uh, Norman, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name, uh, with the Nielsen mm -hmm. Norman Group. Um, and, you know, he was talking about the user experience being the complete experience of the user, okay. not just with a piece of software, but with your entire company, with your entire product, product line. It, it's more than just clicking mm -hmm. on a screen. It's all, all the right. different touch points that the that the, the customer or the user, or I, I like to call them now the audience, or even sometimes the actors, sure. um, are are engaging with you. And so that's how I view user experience. It's a much more holistic view of user experience than uh, I think has developed over the years. Uh, you know, and, and I, I was developing a lot of techniques at the time. I, I can't claim ownership for any of them. I'm sure somebody else was doing it at the same time, but like I was doing, um, I was doing user flow charts sure. and I was doing, I started using storyboarding as a way to convey the actual process people would be going through. Uh, just like in, you know, with movies, you have the storyboard to show the actors and everybody else, what how the scene is going to play out. And that's what I did mm -hmm. for, for that. So I started using a lot of storyboarding and, and stuff like that. But I was also always very much into the actual design and development. Well, not the final development, but just the design of the of the of the user interface and the front end design. Right. And and I learned right. JavaScript and HTML and CSS. And my preference was oftentimes just to work it out, uh, work it out on the screen that way. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so I've I've, I've Worked all through the early 2000s at uh, AOL, uh, doing stuff there. And around 2010, there, I, I felt like there was something really fundamentally wrong with the way we were doing things uh, as as designers, as user experience, okay. as visual designers, as interactive designers, as user interface designers, whatever you want to call those. I, I felt there was just something going wrong because every time I would uh, I'd go into a client, they would look at the wireframes and they would they would pick them apart uh, for structural things, and then I would fix all that. Go do the the visual comps. You know, we everybody was using Photoshop back then to do visual comps, right. and um, and 
I just, I, I would show them the visual comps and they would start picking it apart again, not at the visual level, but oftentimes at the more information architectural level because they just didn't get it seeing the wireframes. And then to hmm. make things even worse, you know, it, uh, you know, many, many times, I won't say every time, but many times we would show them the final product and they would be, well, that's not what we were thinking. And I realized there was this right. huge disconnect between the way the client was imagining things and what we were actually going to be able to produce. So it was about that time I really started getting into uh, uh, large-scale prototyping, uh, interactive prototyping of, of user interfaces, and more or less bypassing the wireframing and visual comp step. Uh, you know, I'll draw out, uh, I'll draw out a wireframe, but I won't, you know, sure. go into OmniGraffle and, and, you know, make it pixel perfect. I just want to get the basic structure and then start working with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to build a fully interactive prototype. Um, and it's been mm -hmm. really successful for me with clients. Uh, they really enjoy not having to imagine what it's going to look like, imagine how it's going to be work, but to see exactly what it's going to look like and see exactly how it's going to work. And also for a lot sure. of the um, micro interactions that are really necessary in the modern web, you can't get that with a Figma, you can't get that with, uh, you know, Adobe XD or any of these other products that are for prototyping because they still have a very static mindset. Um, and so I've, I've been working on my own prototyping tool. It's just what I use. Uh, it's called Prod2. We've been developing it within um, within Rivet Logic as a tool for you know showing our clients, and then also to transition over to for the developers because now the developers uh, have you know a, a working prototype of how it's supposed to to, to work. And so right. they can they can go in there. A lot of times, you know, I use uh, CSS and I also use SAS uh, to create the CSS. So a lot of times they can go in there and just pull the code out that uh, I've already created and it saves them a lot of time as well. So, you know, I, I think getting back to it, the, 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 I think our industry is one that's constantly evolving. And maybe one day we'll yeah. get to the point where everything is settled and, you know, we're, we're as solid as, you know, the printing press. But then something will always come along to disrupt that. So we always have to be looking for how are we going to improve our process, not just for ourselves, but for our clients and our audiences. You, you touched on something that, that I think was, was really important is really this, this integration between the user experience and the customer journey. Can, can yeah. you can you double click a little bit more in terms of how this connects in terms of that holistic view? Because I think often that's that's an element that gets missed, where uh, the the interface, how people interact with the organization, looks cool, but is not connected with the intent journey, which which is really the experience that the customer is on. Uh, so can you can you touch a little bit in terms of that and the importance and, and what that really means to to look at things from a from a from a holistic view? Well, um, I, I teach um, uh, UX design at, at Drexel University uh, right. as an adjunct professor off and on. And one of the things I tell my client, my client, my students, is that um, you are not the user. And sure. a lot, I, I feel like a lot of designers, uh, to use a, <laughs> a, an engrossing term for everybody who falls under that umbrella from UX to, to visual, um, that, mm -hmm. that they 
oftentimes fool themselves into thinking that they either know everything there is to know about the um, the audience or that they just make right. those decisions for the audience based on their own particular biases. And that's one of the right. hardest things to, 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 to train yourself out of is that it doesn't matter how much you know, how much user experience you've done, you are not the audience and your own biases are going to play into your decisions unless you're constantly aware. Absolutely. Now, on yep. the flip side, I also know that, um, you know, to use that overused uh, Henry Ford quote, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, wanted they would have wanted uh, faster horses. Um, you have right. to read into what the uh, audience is telling you and not just take it on its face value uh, because they don't know what's possible. So you have to kind of read mm. beyond that to figure out, okay, what is their journey? How are they moving through this? Also, it's important to consider emotional aspects while you're you're considering that. Is the person likely to be stressed out at this point in time? Are they are they worried right. that if they hit that button, it's going to take two hundred dollars out of their bank account? <laughs> you know, it, it, it can be stressful, and so considering right. all of that, that's why I, at first I was a, I, I was very um, skeptical about design thinking. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, for me, design thinking was how I had already done stuff. But somebody came sure. along and gave gave it a name and gave it a, a more uh, a better process, uh, you know, gave it a, right. a, a definite process that more people could follow. Um, but at first, I was thinking it was going to be people were going to treat it like uh, Six Sigma. Are you familiar with Six Sigma? Yeah, very familiar. The, yeah, the, the, absolutely. <laughs> and and I worked at Bank of America for a while, and everybody was all about the Six Sigma at the time. And back then, when, yes, <laughs> yeah. And when a project would go wrong. They wouldn't blame the process. They would blame themselves that they didn't do the process right. It almost had a kind of cultish feeling to it that that if you do Six Sigma right, you'll you'll you know you'll never fail. And when people failed, they blame themselves. And so I was worried that design thinking was going to be something along those lines. Where well, if I follow just follow this design thinking process, then um, I'll, I'll come out with a great product every time. And that's just simply not the case. Um, and, and I think there were a lot of people at the time who were kind of preaching that way. And I also found that a lot of right. uh, people with more limited UX experience, especially developers, would glom on to the design thinking workshop and think that that turned them into, into a designer, um, which, right. of course, uh, it didn't. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, it, it, right. It, it, and I think, but I think it's also the, the elements that you've got is the, 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 the digital part of the experience may also only be a portion of, of your total experience, yes. right? The, the customer exactly. may, may interact with you and have to go through a chat, may have yeah. to go through an email or a contact center. Um, so, and, and, and the and other that's element actually, that I have to find is, yeah. That's actually, yeah, that's what I was, I'm sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there. What, what I teach my students, not only is you're not the audience, um, but you've got to consider the whole, everything that's happening around. You can't just say, and then a miracle happens and this <laughs> and, and, and the process is done. And the case in point, right. I give them uh, uh, the, the project uh, that the UX class takes on is um, every year is to design a app for a food truck. Uh, it's a college campus, so there are food trucks all over the place. 
so they they go out they find a real food truck they talk to the um to the person working there they talk to the customers around the food truck and start doing that uh, uh doing that uh that interview and understanding of the the users and then they come right. back and invariably their designs are just about the app right they just they're thinking about the app right. and then they say and then they say okay place order um, and that's what they're used to. I mean, they've used plenty of food order sure. apps. And so they just, all they do is push order and then their food comps. But as a right. user experience designer, you, that's where it really, that's not where it stops. That's where it really starts. Correct. Because you have to that's consider, exactly. okay, where's that order going? How is the person who's supposed to fulfill the order going to get it? Um, how, um, how, um, you know, they're, they're oftentimes working in a hot, sweaty food truck. And so, you know, the my my students will go, oh, well, they get to learn on their phone. So they're there with their hands in grease and, and you know, right. uh, awful. <laughs> and you think they're going to go over and check their phone every five seconds to see if they've got the order. And, and the yeah. important thing here is the user experience isn't over until the user gets their food. Now, you know, right. we could talk about the quality of the food and, and stuff like that. That I wouldn't say that falls outside of the user experience, but that's usually something we have very little control over. We're, we're not going to tell them how to better prepare their food, although we can get user feedback right. that says, hey, people don't really like your food very much. Um, but, you know, <laughs> right. you, you, you've got to think of it at least to that point where the 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 customer gets their food because that is that is the culmination of the user experience. And until or that the other happens, analogy. huh? Yeah. The the other analogy is the, the Domino's order, right? Is is the order tracker that tells you where the pizza is in the process? Yeah. And when yeah. is it going to arrive? When it gets a, it, it gives a, a feeling of of certainty. And I've, the number of organizations I've talked to, even telcos, are saying, I, "I wish we could provide that visibility, transparency to to our customers." It, it's the element of saying, "Okay, you put your order now. You can build trust into the next stages." Yeah. Yeah, well, it gives it gives them information. It prevents right. them from feeling uh, anxious. Okay, what's happening? You you know, like I use DoorDash a lot now, and I, I really mm -hmm. like uh, the user experience on that because it does it it shows you. Okay, and it even gives you a map. This is where the restaurant is. This is where your driver <laughs> is. You know, and in fact, it's to the point now because of COVID. You know, I don't answer the door anymore, and they just leave the food outside. I don't even have to worry because, you know, I know exactly when they get there and I can wait right. a minute, go downstairs and get my food. Um, I don't even have to listen out for a doorbell anymore um, or, or anything like that. So, yeah, that that's part of creating that good user experience, which then builds trust with the customer. That's, that's really important. I, I, when you're talking about the delivery piece, I remember this is something that's more common in the UK for some reason, but you don't see it much in America is is when it comes to deliveries they'll often even show the route of the of the truck or the delivery and give you a sense of when it's going to be in your area so so it's really giving you ultimate visibility as to as to what what's happening when you're going to get it to to the minute and this is even if you're ordering groceries or whatever it may be uh which i yeah, thought that's is actually, interesting about sorry go ahead. yeah it, it, it's a cool it's a cool way of giving you more insights right but it's thinking about what's the journey but also your point before in terms of different people have different needs because some people just trust technology works and others mm -hmm. they haven't quite gotten accustomed they want to make sure that it's actually going to work like the number of times i've gone on e-commerce site i was doing that just the other day 
and it said it's order received. And three weeks later, it's still showing order received, and I had to call them. And then, and then they said, yeah, we have it in stock. Oops, we forgot to send it. Uh, but there was nothing to say. Okay, like, is it on back order? It just got stuck somewhere in the system. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, and 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 it, it's uh -huh. it's giving them knowledge and providing agency. It's letting them know right. what they can do if there is a problem. That's that's key, and I think that that's something that a lot of people overlook as well. Is that giving right. people the agency to be able to figure out, you know, what's going on is is critical to trust. I think that's a really important point. So, so you you bring up the the topic of trust, and I don't know when we've talked about it before. Um, mm -hmm. you, you've really talked about the importance of trust and building trust in the UX space. Um, I've, I've had a couple of guests really reinforcing that. Customer experience, particularly in the service space, is, is really about trust uh, because it's not a physical product that I'm buying. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, how UX can be used to build that trust? I think we've obviously yeah. used a few examples now, uh, but you may have some others, uh, as well as other guiding principles you've, 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 you've established over time. Yeah, um, uh, trust in design is something that has uh, intrigued me for at least – I'd say at least the last eight to 10 years. Um, I don't remember exactly how it, it dawned on me uh, to, to start thinking about trust as a specific component of user experience, but um, I've been writing and talking about it for years now. Um, uh, a while back, I had an article in .NET Magazine about, uh, you know, it was the, the 10 principles that I, I talked to people about on how to understand applying uh, trust to making UX decisions. And and, and it's, it's, it's funny because some people I show it to, uh, especially UX designers, they think, oh, well, that's just obvious. You know, it's, it's little things like <laughs> keeping promises and being consistent and um, respecting context and having a good, having a strong um, design voice in your product. Um, and, and things like that. But what I, I realized there, especially a lot of younger UX designers, really didn't know how to express this. They may have internally understood all of this and internally know, mm -hmm. okay, this is what you were doing. But they didn't know how to express it. They didn't know how to say to a client, yes, you can add another five ads to the, uh, to the page, but you're going to diminish your own voice in doing so. Um, and you're really just going to annoy your your customers, which then eventually leads to distrust. Um, you know, that was one right. of the big uh, problems I had at AOL. That was actually probably about the time I, I started thinking about trust was that, um, you know, we were continuously being told that, you know, every pixel on the screen that that isn't being used for content, we needed to find some way to shovel an ad into it. And I kept trying to explain mm -hmm. to them. In, in the short term, yeah, we'll make more money by putting more ads. But in the long term, we'll right. lose our business because people aren't going to want to come to us. Um, and I, I think today, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, the the the, the distrust people, uh, the people who want to put more ads on, uh, are have won, and people have just kind of accommodated to the fact that yeah, when I go to when I go to a site to read an article, I'm going to get something warning me about. Uh, cookies. I'm gonna get something wanting me to subscribe to the right. newsletter. I'm gonna get something. I'm gonna get a pop-up ad, and I'm, you know, and and then on an iPhone, you've got like about three words you can read sometimes because it's so covered with other crap. And I just want to read 
the article, you know, let me read the article right. and then I'll, I'll, maybe I'll sign up for your <laughs> newsletter. Maybe then, you right. know, but, but they do, they play on that psychology of putting it right there in front of the people. And again, in the short term, they probably get more people signing up, but in the long term, they're diminishing that trust right. and people, people just don't want to put up with that. Um, so I, I think that's one of the most uh, difficult things to do is to find ways to uh, express to clients how their decisions will negatively impact the trust of their customers. Um, and mm. that that is a very difficult thing to do, especially if a customer has something in their mind that's very hard to shift. And especially if the client right. is saying, well, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is putting ads online. Um, but, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's it's that constant uh, battle to make it as clear and easy to use as possible versus ne needing to monetize it. Right. Uh, or even another element of this, I would think, is is around the, the service piece of, of the equation. What I mean by this is mm -hmm. certain things can't be solved digitally. I, I can create software exactly. that will solve maybe 89% of use cases, but sometimes I may need to interact with a human uh, in a call center or, or in some other means. And and what I found is over the last few years, a lot of companies have made it incredibly difficult to find the, how do I seek help? So I'm obviously stuck through this, this the channel I'm in and I need help, but it's almost impossible. There's some cases where it's faster to Google the phone number for a company right. than to find it on the company's website. And to me, that's an element that that plays to trust as well, is yeah. uh, I get you're trying to get your efficiencies, but but you're not caring about my journey, my experience, and how I need support. Exactly, exactly. If you think back to Google, one of the most mind-blowing things about Google when it first came out was it was just the logo and a search field when you got to the page. And if you looked at the other popular search engines of the time, uh, which I don't think most of them you can anymore because Google completely destroyed <laughs> them, um, Correct. they were covered with ads and links and all this stuff and then a little tiny search field. And you came there for the search field. You didn't come there for all this other stuff. And I refer to right. that as a blizzard, uh, sorry, a snowflake and a blizzard uh, scenario. Basically, it, every snowflake is unique but if it's in a blizzard, you can't tell the difference. And it's like that right. on a web page. If your page is full of links and ads and all this other stuff, it's like trying to wade through a blizzard to find that one snowflake that you're looking for. I, I think this is fascinating stuff. And I think uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the show is uh, talk a lot about customer experience and how you build it. It's obvious that most customer experiences now have a significant impact in terms of digital component to, to the experience. Mm -hmm. But it's really thinking about that end-to-end -end journey, really thinking about how how the web interactions, how all the various tools, apps that you may have can interact into a broader journey, which I think gets missed too often. And I like your mm -hmm. other point really around um, how people are building an app for them. But at the end of the day, if you're uh, for, if your your target market has nothing to do with who's writing it, they may not even understand the business need, the challenge, or the experience that that person is looking for. So, so really getting exactly. behind the scenes of what that looks like, what what does what does the experience need to look like, but is, how does it fit into the broader experience? Like to me, the the element I often struggle with is is people will start in a digital channel and then they'll have to switch over because something wasn't well designed exactly. uh, or yeah. too complicated. It didn't solve my problem, 
Um, and obviously this means something wasn't thought through properly, uh, or mm -hmm. you, you do need in some cases to, 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 to speak to, to somebody in a call center, and that's okay, you design it into that experience. You just know that in those paths, you'll need to speak to somebody and, and then just proceed, just don't abruptly end it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, I, I've struggled for a long time with how to tell people what I do. Because, um, you know, I, I, I've been doing web design, uh, you know, forever. And every time somebody, oh, so what do you do? I say, I'm a web designer. Oh, so you code? No, I'm not a coder. Oh, so you, you know, <laughs> build servers? No, I don't, I don't do that. And for a long time, you know, and now I tell people I'm a UX designer, it's even more, at least with, um, you know, web and design, they knew what both words meant. But if I tell them I'm a user experience designer, that you know the the faces just almost invariably go blank. And what I finally figured out was I tell them, okay, you remember the last time you complained that your your iPhone or your Android um, wasn't doing things the way you wanted to, and wasn't mm -hmm. working the way you needed it to? And they go, yeah, because everybody has had that experience. Uh, I say, right. well, that means that somebody like me didn't do their job. Yeah, and then people get it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm the person who thinks about how you're going to do this. Not not the programming, not the actual creation necessarily, but the how are you going to get this done? And um, right. and you know that that tends to help people over the hurdle of understanding what I do. That that makes good sense. A, a good description of what UX is all about. So, uh, Jason, thank you very much for for joining the show. Uh, mm -hmm. and for sharing your insights around this. Uh, really good to have you. Uh, and um, you've published numerous books on this topic. Uh, you mm -hmm. speak at a lot of different conferences, and now you write uh, children's books. So uh, if anybody <laughs> is interested. One, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so if you're interested in human space travel or space or outer space or, or whatever, um, you can pick up Yuri Was Very Brave uh, from www.yuribrave.com. Well, thank you oh, so much oh, for, for, oh. for joining me and uh, continue good luck in, in, in this work and in trying to improve the experiences and connecting it with broader experiences uh, that organizations have. You're very welcome. It's always great to, to talk about this stuff. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode. Or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru, with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.